Now here with us in studio is Mireille McGuinness, EU Commissioner for Financial Stability, Services and Capital Markets. Welcome to studio. Thank you. Now, I want to ask you first about the serious allegations of bribes for representation in the EU Parliament that we've been hearing about in recent days. We have an MEP and Vice President of the Parliament arrested, talk of suitcases full of cash. What's your reaction to what's been happening? Well, I was in Strasbourg last week when the Parliament was sitting and everyone is deeply shocked by this. And what we're worried about is that this is not perhaps the complete story. Um, so the idea that people have suitcases of money anywhere but a parliamentarian, and this is the allegation, is shocking. Uh, I know the President of the Parliament, Roberta Mazzola, is quite determined to deal with this. Um, but what really is important, and lucky we had good policing, that this was discovered. As I read more and more details, even this morning in the press, it seems that his, this investigation was going on for quite a period of time and that there will be more revelations. So it is not good uh, for the European Parliament and the vast majority of MEPs were just horrified by what they heard last week and the extent of it. I mean, to find cash in bundles of over 1.5 million is extraordinary. The charges are really severe. So money laundering, bribery, criminal organisation uh, and potentially then the interests of other countries uh, using money to influence the European Parliament. So it requires a very strong reaction from the Parliament. And as you know, I was in the Parliament up to two years ago. Yeah. Uh, I had we, never were you and others surprised, this. though, given given the level of legislation that goes through that Parliament as a, as a well, former I, vice president yourself? I, you you know truth, how it works. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I'm shocked. Surprised is not a, a sufficient word. I mean, I was there from 2004 and there's lots of lobbies come and go to that Parliament. But I... I mean, it was so shocking that people could hardly express uh, with words last week. Would you agree with those who describe Irish it as MEPs. an attack on EU democracy? Well, I mean, what it is to me is uh, that somebody, and maybe some more than just one, were capable of accepting money in exchange for what? And that's the thing that we need to know about. And really, for the vast majority of MEPs, they need to know exactly what happened here. And if the system, which I think it does, needs to be tightened up. Yeah, just talk, talk about that. Yeah, an ethics committee and, and other there, is, there are these friendship groups as well and I was just mm. looking them up today. The EU-Qatar Friendship Group website says our activities are meant to promote and strengthen the relations between members of the European Parliament and our counterparts from Qatar. Mm. Should these so-called friendship groups be banned in the light of what's coming out here now? Well, I think you, sh you shouldn't throw everything out. Some of these groups may be very good in terms of working with other countries. Um, so I don't think it's a case of throw everything out now because this issue has arisen. But I think the Parliament will have to think twice about access and about checking what's going on in terms of lobbying by particular countries because I think that is behind all of this. And again, as I read details today, it could be beyond one country that was potentially trying to influence the European Parliament. There could be more. Well, that's that's what I'm reading. I mean, what's quite horrific is that uh, we know these people, those MEPs that are named, um, and you kind of wonder who would allow themselves to be put in that position. Uh, they're in a well-paid job. They have a, a job with huge responsibility, huge capacity to do enormous good mm -hmm. as members of the European Parliament. And I think it puts a stain uh, wrongly on the Parliament, which I hope the Parliament will deal with in its own time and swiftly. Now, of course, the big challenge for the EU this past year has been the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And the EU has imposed nine rounds of sanctions on Russia. But will it grant President Zelensky his Christmas wish, which I suppose is to be 
allowed into the uh, EU quicker? Well, I mean, that process literally has started and that was very quickly done. And I don't think it will happen overnight. I think Europe has been extremely supportive of Ukraine and its people and its president because they've been illegally invaded by Russia. Are we talking about years for this? Well, I I mean, I don't think, for example, it will happen tomorrow. It will take time. But what's much more urgent for Europe and for Ukraine is this winter. Um, We know that lights turned on again. He went on again in Kiev, luckily enough. But we now see um, Russia weaponising people, trying to freeze them and starve them out of their homes. We're trying to do the best that we can Mm. to assist over this winter period. And of course, the consequences for Europe and member states has been very significant as well in terms of energy. Uh, So this war, this illegal invasion um, has changed our our worldview, has changed the world. There's huge fragmentation now. We know we need to accelerate all of those things we were going to do around energy need to happen faster and more furiously. And we need big investment for that. And I know know you're working on that. As we need to continue helping... Ukraine to deal with the terrible destruction of life and property. Can I just talk about the migration from Ukraine because millions have now left that country and here in Ireland the authorities um, asked the Ukrainian ambassador this week to pass a message back to Ukraine to citizens planning to seek protection or accommodation here not to come over the next two weeks. Up to last week we had 100 people still living in tents in cold weather. Should smaller nations like Ireland be able to say to the EU we have reached our capacity, we can't house many more appropriately. Well, I think Ireland has given out that message. I mean, the former Taoiseach, now Thonish, uh, Micheál Martin, was very clear in Irish solidarity with Ukrainian citizens and doing perhaps more than some. I think the message was passed on that there were some pressures, to say the least, in our system. But I think, look at the big picture here. Look what's happening to people. People are now being weaponized by Vladimir Putin. His objective is to destabilise the European Union by pushing people out of their homeland of Ukraine. So do you see that westward migration continuing and perhaps even increasing as he well, launches a new offensive in the new the, year? The logic of this current war is that this could continue and that there are, therefore the European response has to be appropriate to that. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we don't see more weaponising of people, families divided and children and parents moving. They usually move to the closer member states, but they will push further in order to find places to live and to work and get their children to school. But for small but, countries like Ireland, there's no way that we can say well, we're well, full. Of course you can. But I think that if you the message from Ireland, I think, has been very strong on solidarity, but also being very clear that, look, we have pressures in the system. Um, And I think that if you look at what Ireland has done as a community, we have, you know, we've done our very best in difficult circumstances. Um, And I think that was good leadership because we understand very well the horror of being pushed out of your home. And other member states are also doing what they can. Uh, But I think your point is well made. Is this going to continue? And how many more people will be displaced from their homes? And we don't know the answer to that. This war started at the end of February this year. January, we saw no sight of it. We have lived, uh, Europe has lived with the war on its soil. Ukrainians have lived with the horror of it. Uh, And I dread to say that we end a year where there's still war and where there's still death and destruction in Ukraine. In two weeks' time, Red McGuinness, Ireland will mark 50 years in the EU. What do you think will be the biggest challenges going forward over the next, just medium term, two to three years? I think we're in a very changed world. 
And I think Europe has to find its place in this very changed world. Uh, we're working with allies, the UK, Canada, the US, Japan and others when it comes to sanctions on Ukraine. And I think that's working really well. But you, we have, if you like, a fragmented financial system because of our sanctions. We've had to push uh, Russia very hard. We know that the energy crisis prevails, particularly a European crisis because mm -hmm. supplies have been reduced. But we have this big challenge of climate change and adjustment and investing in renewables. Europe will have to ask itself some tough questions, which we're doing about what does Europe want to be in the world? Um, a, a soft power or a, a power that's able to say we can, for example, on defence and security, where do we stand on these issues? Where do we stand when we have faced this threat on our borders? So I think it's a question of, you know, for, for Ireland, it's 50 years. Um, when I look back, I didn't get to vote, just in case you're asking, but I know my parents who have since passed, as many parents would have, mm. took a leap of faith. For an Ireland that was very different 50 years ago, go. And even though there were bumps and, and difficulties along that 50 years, I think that Ireland is a much more open, progressive um, and better off place than it was 50 years ago. And that Europe is now faced with other challenges. And I think we can lead the world, but we also have to examine our own lack of resilience in energy and around other policies, um, supply chain crisis yeah, that we were Let's just move to finance with. for a minute, because mm -hmm. that is your own area. And you have moved to end the financial clearing of trillions uh, in transactions away from London by 2025. Do you expect to receive a big pushback on that? Because London is the clearing capital and didn't want EU regulation of this? Well, I mean, London is not now part of the European Union yeah. and of course we all regret that the UK has gone. So we had to make decisions about what is in the interests of the European Union. So you're starting to manoeuvre around London rather than through it. Well, well, what we're doing is we're not looking at London, we're actually looking at ourselves. A bit like my point about where does Europe want to be. We're looking at our own capacity to build our financial system and to be strong when there are crises. And on these this clearing issue, we were not strong and are not strong. So we're trying to say to our uh, stakeholders, we need to have stronger financial infrastructure in the European Union to weather storms that might come, but to be prepared for them. We're also trying to build European capital markets, CMU, banking union, these big projects, because the one area where we don't have a single market is in capital. Okay. So these things are part of a bigger programme, but it all feeds into your, your point about Europe 50 years for Ireland, but it's older um, and it's around a while. What is its future? And I think Europe has proven that we're stronger together and that we have to make decisions about where do we fit into the, the world, uh, the geopolitics. Okay. And just a question for yourself, your own term is due to end in 2024. And there have been rumblings that that's what they are over this weekend, that Michal Martin might have commission ambitions in the future. Are you intent on staying on beyond 2024 in the role of EU commissioner? Well, I, I say perhaps uh, tongue in cheek that I am the accidental commissioner. So I'm in this role for two years. Um, it's a very important role and I have no knowledge or indeed a view of what will happen Would when you like it to ends stay on? in two years' time. Um, look, if I'm asked to stay on, I certainly would be ready to serve. Uh, but I also would say that there are others who also would may want to serve. In two years' time, we don't know where we will be, where the world will sit. Um, where would I you have, like to be? I have, I've been given a very responsible portfolio in finance. And I hope that my work um, and my track record 
would 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 point that if the vacancy still existed and nobody else was ahead of me, that I would be given consideration. But I've no plans about that. But then I had no plans uh, to be in this role. But I'm very, um, I'm very, um, I suppose, I take it very seriously that this role around finance, particularly at a time of, uh, you know, crisis around interest rates and energy uh, prices, is an important one. Let's see what the future holds. Sometimes okay. those who plan too much... Okay, Maria McGuinness, EU Commissioner, thank you very much for coming into us. And after the break, we'll be talking to broadcaster Sean O'Rourke.